What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 253. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh, that would be the one that comes after 252, the one that we released last week, just to keep track of where we are. Now, Steve, I've got plans for episode 254 of this show. Right. Does that mean that will be next week? Um, I think if you're planning on it, the math checks out. If you carry the two, yes, it would be next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, 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 cool. I'm jotting this down. Got it, guys. I'm I'm feeling pretty confident about these numbers. Good, 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 good. Um, yeah. So I'm Steve. Who else is here? I'm Ron, and I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> and they have perfected the pause between their names. Yes, a respectful pause, a pregnant pause. I love it. I love it. Respectful yet not dramatic. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's, it's a sweet spot. Yeah, and before we started recording, we talked about all the scary and horrible things uh, going on in the world. But maybe we'll keep that out of our podcast for this, uh, this episode. Do <laughs> you, think, you think we're going to be able to? I, I think it's related. I, I, think we, I think we should try. Yeah, we should try, though. But some of the stuff is related. I, I think we, honestly, we, we keep a pretty, even when we get negative, we still are in a pretty shallow level of sadness we never get that sad it never gets that sad we 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 stay within reason and and believe it or not you guys hold me up man i I like running these things by you it's it's pretty cool and i've seen people say they haven't watched any movies or television since this whole thing started because they can't even distract their brain from real world stuff and I, i guess i relate to that concern but i think i have not had that issue i have sort of gone deeper than i normally would into some of my escapism i've 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 been reading more i've been watching more i've been doing a lot in on top of all the practical stuff i've had to do but i've definitely been occupying my mind with uh, with entertainment. Do you, do you two feel the same, or have you been sort of not enjoying your usual creature comforts as much? Uh, I'd, I'd say I've been, I've been consuming more movies. I'd say less... T- t- TV seems like a commitment, and I've been trying to commit a little bit. I've been watching uh, some of the shows that we've been talking about, and, and some new ones. Normally shorter-form shows, and I always watch movies, so... Um, yeah, I, I'm still trying to stay entertained and busy and keep my mind off of everything that's going on. So I, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little more than usual and also playing Animal Crossing. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been kind of like just completely distracting myself and, you know, like disconnecting by trying to honestly catch up on a lot of stuff, you know, like movies and shows or revisiting things that I haven't watched in a while just to kind of... When we have a free moment that's not dedicated to, because like you know, my wife and I are both still working from home or taking care of our two-year-old. It's like if there's a moment, it's like let me just immerse myself in in movies. You know, like I can't go to the theater like we always love to do. So it's like a it's an escape for me mm-hmm. still. So I, I kind of find that I've been I, I I legitimately have been watching more than I've watched probably in the last six months. You know, in the last in this last month and a half, two months. Right. Right. So yeah, it's been good to catch up on some things, and it's a it's a nice way to kind of pass the time, which seems to just now take you know I feel I don't know where we are anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I know we've all seen Bad Education, the new HBO movie directed by Corey Finley, 
and starring Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, correct? Yes, we have. Yes. Well, should we start off with that? Sure. I love that idea, okay. John. Steve, it's almost like something we've already discussed and approved, and I just kind of put it out there. Weird, huh? As though I was thinking of it, yeah. Love it, love it. Well, how'd you like Bad Education? Also loved it. Ronald? Oh, I, I loved it, too. I thought it was really good. I'm, I love that the, the tone of it... I, I think the best comedians are uh, people that realize that there's funny and seriousness, like people that take themselves seriously in a particular situation can be a lot more funny than somebody that's playing it comical on purpose. You know, it's just something about the absurdity of what reality is, is what kind of pushes this movie. And I know it's not intentionally trying to be like funny, but the absurdity of somebody thinking that they can do what this character did in the characters in this story, just, oh man, it, it's it's a lot of really good chemistry, a lot of comedic actors playing along, and some serious actors working together, and it just hits in a way that I needed it. I needed to see a movie like this, and I can't believe that it really happened. It's crazy, right? Yes, nuts, man. I guess we need we need to step lightly on the plot details. Yes, yes. Because yes. there is there is quite a bit that I guess if you read an article about it, you might get all the facts of the movie. I I did not know the facts of the movie, so when I was watching it, I was I did not know how deep it went or how big the scope of uh, the scandal was or who was involved or who went down or anything. So I I think it's interesting that we could say things about certain numbers that get bandied about towards the end of this movie that reveal the scope of this. That I guess we should avoid. But when you think about what the money was intended to go for and then what it did go for and the time over which that's, that pipeline of corruption was set up, um, yeah, it is crazy. Like, it will anger you, and yet you are watching these incredibly likable, sometimes funny actors portray these characters. I, I think they do that with this type of movie sometimes. They make it like a dark comedy rather than just a drama. Um, but yeah, this movie got me in all kinds of ways. I thought it was super effective, and, and, and it had me really thinking about corruptibility and how corruptible am I, you know? Honestly, I walked away going, would I, would I be one of these people who could be in a back room roped in to saying, if you just agree to this, think about this benefit, or if you agree to this, we'll give you this much, or you can make this payment, or your kid can go to this school? I think a lot of people don't know until that moment happens, like, just how corruptible are you? Yeah, and absolutely. and uh, there's like a, a spectrum of that in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably like some of the best stuff in the movie is just like how you really see that spectrum of like corruptibility like John's talking about, you know, without giving anything away for those that don't know the story, you know, it, the movie kind of bounces around a little bit in terms of where you're starting to realize who's involved with this, this big problem that you learn about through the movie and, you know, what their role in it is. But I mean, like even beyond the key characters, there are other characters in the movie that you meet um, and, and, I, and I'm really thinking of um, the the high school reporter's father, who they like kind of have a little story trickle out throughout the movie, Rachel's dad. And, you know, even even him, like you, you, you get a little bit of a peek into his life and kind of went, what went wrong with him, which has nothing to do with the main story that we're watching. But it's another example of complacency or kind of going along with something because of no inherent danger that you can see to anybody. And, you know, it just like really does. It makes you kind of question like where you would fall if you found yourself in a situation like that. And you meet people that are kind of all along the that, that sliding scale of like, you know, people that like are 
completely moral and would never go along with something like that, which, you know, you then find people that are the ones instigating it or, or kind of starting that conversation or putting people in those situations where they have to make that uncomfortable decision to either go along with it or, you know, I don't know, be the whistleblower of the whole thing. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a really crazy story, and it's, yeah, it's like one of those crazy stories that is, it's so crazy, it, it's true, and it's like, um, it kind of reminds me of, like, just the, like, American animals, and not in a way it's made, but just, like, these crazy true stories that have been kind of adapted so well into these feature films. The performances in the, the movie, in this film, um, which, you know, just to say, premiered on HBO last weekend, it, uh... I mean, I don't know, like, it's in, like, the top two or three performances, I think, for Hugh Jackman, which I think, we all love Hugh Jackman, I think he's amazing, like, he's one of my favorite actors, and he's so versatile, and, and he's so great in, like, everything he's in, even if the movies are not that good, um, but this is one of his best performances, I think, simply because of how layered this character is, and um, and through the film, you know, and, and how much you slowly learn about him, and and the shedding that happens with this character throughout the movie, it's it's he's just phenomenal in it. And uh, it kind of bums me out that like I'm I'm happy it's available on HBO and I, I think it was like an acquisition at the TIFF uh internet the Toronto International Film Festival last year, where I wanna say it may have been like a record acquisition. It was like a twenty million dollar acquisition by HBO, where I guess there were a lot of studios involved, but they ended up getting it. But it kinda bums me out a little bit because like this is the that conversation about like how, you know, this is not going to get you know noticed for any kind of Oscar categories because I feel like depending what comes out this year, I would have loved to see him be recognized for that performance because I, I just thought he was really incredible in this movie. Yeah, I mean he just he just becomes this guy, and yet you are also I mean it's got that weird star power thing where he can become somebody else, but while he's becoming somebody else you never lose the sort of craft of the of the actor that you're watching. Yeah. So in some ways, it could be like a really showy performance, but maybe what's really remarkable about it is that it's not. And maybe none of the performances in this movie are. I'm thinking no one really goes off the chain to show their dramatic chops. Everybody simmers or cries or looks guilty or shows regret or skulks away or whatever, but there's only one, you might argue, kind of big speech scene. And it's not presented as a moment of triumph at all. It's presented as a moment of, of, of someone having almost like a mental break um, <laughs> from reality. Uh, and uh, no, Hugh Jackman is amazing in it. And, and Allison Janney, who is always great as far as I know, except for that one time she rapped on, uh, on the West Wing. Not good. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, she, uh, even that, she threw herself into it, uh, you know, with her usual aplomb. But she's just, she's just terrific in this. And, um, you know, Ray Romano is one of those people who I'm always happy to see pop up in a slightly more dramatic role like this. He he plays that kind of line between comedic and dramatic really well, but um, he's not tipping off his. It's not like he's playing it broadly or doing one-liners or yeah. anything. He he he's very he disappears into the world. But him being in the world, it kind of reminds me of the tone of uh, the Steven Soderbergh film The Imposter, where a lot of the secondary roles are played by comedians, yeah. and yeah. you would have to know some of them to know that they are comedians. You know, they're not all big names, but you do 
get people that you, you kind of go, oh, it's cool when a director realizes what Ronald was saying, that you get comedians to fill some of these, or just people who have comic style to their acting, you get them to fulfill some of the secondary and tertiary roles in a movie like this, and it just makes the world feel more lived in, and it does give you a few more moments of amusement, yeah. and it allows you to perhaps, kind of like I said before, to realize the dark comic underpinnings of what they're trying to do even the way the music would come in in this movie was very deliberately sometimes very melodramatic um there's a moment at some point where a, an fbi agent says um he's a dancer and then there's a musical stab yeah <laughs> that that is so dramatic it's funny but it also underscores the real emotion of the scene there's uh, this weird i don't know i want to call it a clarinet note that happens early in the movie that's just like as the dread is mounting and the sort of, uh, as Steve was saying, the, the happy world you're presented with in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, as it starts to go askew, there's this little, hmm, little <laughs> note that plays. And it, and it almost is like something out of a horror movie uh, in terms of how it ratchets up just the emotional stakes of, okay, these people who seem so cozy and comfy in their world, what we should say, we can at least say this, it's the biggest embezzlement scheme that ever happened in an American uh, school, American high school. I'm looking at Wikipedia, the largest public school embezzlement in American history. So it is significant in that sense. But who's involved and how they're involved, you know, it, it slowly builds. And I think what you said, Steve, about the way the performance kind of slowly unravels, you know, the main character that, uh, of uh, Frank Tassone. Yeah. I think that the way that the movie itself and the performance, I know that's a silly thing to point out, that the movie and the, and the performance are working together, but the way that the movie slowly gives you time to soak in details and then reveal another one and then reveal another one and then it shows you another character and then you see their world has a little bit more going on in it and then you go away from it and then you come back to it. Right. There's so many little moments like the story with Rachel and her dad where you get it through a few scenes. By the time you get that scene, you genuinely care about their relationship. But in the first scene, it's 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 not like it's laid on thick. And I think the movie does that throughout. Right. And the fact that Hugh Jackman is able to do his usual thing, very, very powerful, but also without overacting, it's it's kind of amazing. Yeah, man. It's 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 one of those good balances of all the elements that give you the ups and downs and some sadness and it just it hit me pretty hard. Like I needed, I needed to see something that kind of felt. I, I I like movies that are based on real life events, and um, you know, I don't know the how accurate it is in comparison to what really happened, but it was a pretty compelling story, and I loved all the actors involved. So I think that it's fairly accurate in in the facts. Like I feel like you know, it it did kind of all get kicked off by a high school reporter, but I I think from what I was reading about, like it. A lot of the digging that she did, like through records and public records and the timetable maybe, didn't doesn't really match up with the movie. That's maybe for a little more for dramatic effect. But I mean, it is something that ultimately, you know, came to light, I think, over the course of like a year or two, which in the movie plays a little less time. But, um, you know, it kind of did get tipped off to a, this reporter in a high school who, you know, kind of wrote an article and it kind of like sparked something. And a lot of those public records that were seized and whatnot, like that was a lot of that was done by the bigger outlets that they mentioned at the end of the movie, like New York times and a few other, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that it's something, you know, where it did kind of start with a, (laughs) 
like a high school person uh, being tipped on something that didn't seem right and like kind of just pulling at that thread until it just completely fell apart. The way the movie dramatizes that, the, the genesis of that plot line too, is very clever. I mean, it, it may be a little on the nose, but it's it's a very cool sort of cause and effect. Um, and, and, and my wife and I had a little debate about what motivates a certain character at, at the beginning of the movie to kind of tip off that high school reporter. Um, you know, to put him on the case. <laughs> I thought that whole setup was really fun. And I really wondered, was she a real character? Honestly, throughout the whole movie, I was like, well, most of these people feel like they might be real, but this high school student could be an invented amalgam character to be, you know, to, to serve all the purposes that it does in terms of the story. Because there's some moments of suspense that come from that character's involvement too. And, uh, and she really is one of the only people who you think is doing the right thing. Right, right. I think in real life, I think, like, her name's not Rachel... But I mean, yeah, I mean, it definitely is one of the, I think she may have also been a senior um, who was like already one of the higher ups at the school paper. And I think that's where she got, how, or at least how she got, you know, access to the information that kind of tipped it all off. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it is it that, that character, that person, you know, whether it's changed for the movie, like it is, that was a person that really did have a pretty big, you know, hand in, in this all kind of going sideways. Trying to read this. Yeah, I think her real name was Rebecca, maybe. Yeah, Rebecca. But I don't know, man. This is like a really cool acquisition for HBO. I mean, like we always talk about how high quality HBO is and whether it's their original series or original films or some other documentaries that they do. Um, but uh, yeah, this is like a, a wild kind of acquisition for them because it does seem like a movie that, you know, released by a, a theatrical distribution arm like would have, would have probably got, gathered some sort of uh, attention for Oscar season, especially in a year like this year where things are so weird yeah. and different. I mean, obviously they wouldn't have known that, but um, I mean, surely I'm, I'm sure it'll get recognition, you know, come time for the Emmys and whatnot. And I hope he does. And um, he probably will, but it is, it is interesting. Cause I mean, like it is, is, you know, this is the second film from Corey Finley who, I think last year put out Thoroughbreds, which I think we all talked about, and at least I think most of us liked it. I remember um, really liking that, yeah. But it, yeah, I, yeah, I really liked it too. And uh, I don't know, it's just like I hope people find this movie on HBO because I mean it's it's really it's really a good watch and it's super entertaining. Like my wife just kind of like walked in like in the first couple minutes of me starting it and was completely like. Just in, I mean, she loves Hugh Jackman as much as we do, so that was a hook. But I mean, like, once the story starts unraveling, she's like, you know, oh my god, like I gotta watch the rest of this. So it's it is in that's like kind of that lore of these true stories, like you know, like we were talking about earlier. So I would I would encourage anybody that has an HBO subscription or HBO Now Max when it comes out at the end of the month, whatever it might be, I would I would definitely try to fa- uh, you know track this movie down and check it out as soon as you can. HBO's been putting out some good content, man. Yeah, you know, it's weird yeah, that it feels like sure. it could have been made in the HBO stables because it, they do this kind of, this is exactly the kind of subject matter, this, this true story that can be presented as a dramatic, dark comedy. That's like their wheelhouse as far as original movies. Yeah. But it also had this cinematic gloss to it that was just something about the, the, the filmmaking that was, you know, I'm not surprised now to read, um, as you mentioned, Steve, that it was... Uh, um, that it was a, f- a festival film that was acquired. But is that a thing that HBO does a lot of? I guess maybe they've been doing a lot of it. I don't usually think of them as the acquirer of festival films, but I'm sure I, I always think of them doing that with documentaries, I guess. Um, but uh, they're in that same 
sandbox with uh, Netflix and Amazon of like, well, what if it's not going to be a studio, what service is going to pick up this this uh, movie? It, it feels like it could be a studio drama. It does not feel like a... a like an indie. I mean, they definitely do acquisitions through the festivals. I want to say the year before, it might have been at Sundance, they bought that movie. Um, I don't know if you saw The Tale with uh, Laura Dern. Um, it was like a Jennifer Fox's directed, director, directed film. Um, I think it was like semi-autobiographical. But that movie was great. But that was another example. I think HBO got that at Sundance the year prior. And like... Um, you know, I think the same kind of thing. Like, you know, I think it got Emmy noms, but I, I guess it doesn't uh, qualify for Oscars because of, you know, the whole TV subscription platform or whatever it is. Uh. But, um, yeah, they, they, they definitely do acquisitions there. And I think those are two of the bigger profile ones that they've done in the last two years. And both movies that, you know, were high quality films that, you know, if Bad Education does get Emmy nominations, like, you know, they're 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 definitely on to something in terms of what they're acquiring like high quality films for sure so yeah oh i was gonna say um hbo content wise if you guys ever get a chance check out that documentary the scheme oh yeah it was great so i thought that mcmillions was entertaining man the scheme is so funny man it is so weird another it's a documentary about uh the corruption in the NCAA and it's just so well made and <laughs> so many accounts from people that were in in on the schemes of college basketball and acquisition of basketball players from the AAU system. It's it's an incredible movie, man. It's it's worth checking out. You Steve, you say you saw it? Yeah, yeah, and no, I saw uh, you and Aaron posting about it, and I was like, it was already queued up, and I was like, okay, now I'll, I'll make time to watch this tonight. And I was like, yeah, I mean, all their, all their, yeah, I, and and like the trailers that they drop for these things are so good, and like I'm just like, okay, that's all I need to see. Yeah. And, and and admittedly, like I don't I don't know much about the NCAA or the you know the uh, AAU or any any of these you know a lot of the college basketball sports or in general college sports I'm not into at all. So a lot of that is like a learning process oh, yeah. for me. So like the way the doc like even even like informs you or educates you about, you know, amateurism and like wh- what what the relationships can and can't be between managers and athletes or agents and athletes or financial advisors and athletes. It's just so fucking ridiculous. And it's just like it's it's a corrupt business that just becomes more and more corrupt. By the greed that's fueling it, it's just it's crazy, man. And it, yeah, it's a wild story it's really too. Wild. And it and it gets one of those stories that just gets wilder and wilder. And I don't understand how they trusted this kid with so much money. It just is a really weird situation. But it's really entertaining. Yeah, he's like a prodigy or something. Like it blew my <laughs> mind. Like at the age, the age that he was at when he was doing some of the things he was doing. Like even when he was working for like a legit agency you know, with whatever title he officially had, but it was like, he was so young. He still is so young. And having gone through this whole thing, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like what, what, what am I doing? You know, (laughs) like, not that I want to be involved in that crap, but I'm just like, that is a go getter. That is a go getter. Like he went and got it through the wrong means, I guess. But I mean, he went and got it. He was selling $200 scouting reports at like, 12 years old to come? 12 years old yeah what? like what the hell and he was like putting himself on the reports 
so ridiculous. God, it was a good doc, man. Um, I saw an interesting documentary on Netflix called Voyeur. Have either of you seen that? No. How was it? I have not. I mean, it's related to a book that was out and an article that made a lot of news. So, I mean, it's 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 you may have heard of it. It was Gay Talese, the um, the journalist. Oh my God. Yes. And he was the guy who kind of wrote yes. the first, what is considered kind of the, the template for the modern uh, celebrity profile. You know, those those articles that often are terribly written and really pretentious, where it's all about like spending the day with Beyonce, but they write about them in this poetic, observant way where they're, uh. they're really spinning it into almost a form of like literature based on watching, w- watching them eat lunch or whatever. Right. Frank Sinatra Has a Cold was his famous profile of Sinatra that influenced so many writers and became such a huge thing. Well, anyway, that was kind of what he made his reputation on. So he's 88 now, but he was in his uh, 80, it was like 80. 384 when this documentary was shot and it was him getting ready to make a book out of this guy he's known for 30 or 40 years a guy named Gerald Foose who had a secret that he wanted to share and show somebody and Gay Talese apparently witnessed this thing which is that Gerald Foose ran a roadside motel um, and at that motel he had constructed an uh, like an observation deck up in an attic where he could hang out up there and look down through these special vents into all of the rooms at the mm. motel and observe people. And Gaetali supposedly saw this attic. And again, that was decades ago. And he's been spending the intervening time trying to get Gerald Foose to let him write a story or a book. Because Gerald seems to want the world to know his, his story, but he also seems to not really want things to change for himself that much. And he seems to view Gay Talese as a real friend and confessor. And Gay Talese seems to view Gerald Foose as, as an opportunity for a story. I'm not saying there's no real compassion there, but it's just not that apparent in the movie. And, and what the documentarians capture is the story of these two men as Gay Talese is readying his book about what he believes to be true based on Gerald Foose's account. But the fact that Gerald Foose is really the only source for this story and the fact that there's certain things that are hard to verify. In the end, both men seem morally compromised, um, and even the documentarians uh, seem to be a little unsure as to what story they're following. Are they trying to tell us the story of what Gerald Foose's account is? Are they trying to tell us the story of Gay Talese and Gerald Foose's friendship? Or are they trying to capture Gay Talese at the moment when his journalistic credibility uh, seems to uh, shatter around this question of um, did he get taken for a ride by Gerald Foose? You know that documentary uh, Tickled? Is that the name of that Yeah, one? Tickled. I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. how afterwards you just felt kind of unclean. You just needed to take a shower. Yeah. I felt a little bit like that at the end of Voyeur. It's definitely well done and it's very watchable and I would actually like to hear what you guys think of it. Um, but it really does seem like the people that made it almost like missed the story <laughs> that they should have followed here. But I, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's another one of those, like, there's so much. Like, I remember when that came out a couple of years ago, it was like, I got to watch this. And to be honest with you, I, I kind of had a little more insight into that coming out because one of, like, the high, high, high ups at my job currently is his wife. And he has... He has like a he has a, a reputation. He he and she have a yeah a very unique reputation um, in 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 the publishing industry and <laughs> uh, journalist industry, journalism and yeah I don't want to say anything because I have a job there but I, and I don't know anything I'm just saying like I just remember a lot of people talking about this when it came out on Netflix a couple years ago 
And I mean, and, and his wife is somebody that I've worked with before and I've helped and is a very <laughs> nice woman and like, but um, I had heard the stories. She's in there a little bit and you, you definitely come away from it wanting something better for her than to be married to this guy. <laughs> I hate to say that. I can say that. Uh, he, he just kind of seems like he's made her and uh, she's had to accept a lot being married to this, this character. He, he seems to think quite a lot of himself, but he also seems to be a good writer and he seems smart. But yeah, there are those moments where you see the other side. And uh, like I said, it, it's almost like a movie where you get to the end and you wonder, was there really enough to make a full movie right. about unless they were going to go deeper into one thing or another? You know, it's as though the movie only talked to two or three people. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot of people giving their side of the story. And this story feels like there would have been a lot more sides to it than what's presented in the movie. Right, right. You know, we had said we were going to talk about this, and I do think we should talk about this whole uh, Trolls World Tour, what happened with the online grosses or the home grosses being so big. Uh, it actually outgrossed uh, the, its theatrical predecessor in in terms of theatrical yeah. gross, right? Am I reading that right? That, that it, it did better ultimately in about three weeks at home than than um, the original Trolls film did uh, in five weeks or whatever in the theater. So so this has prompted some remarks from Universal about what they might do with future releases, and now AMC Theaters has pushed back with a, a claim that they're not going to show Universal movies, which seems impossible when you look at the list of what Universal has uh, under its tent, that it would be, these would be big grossing films. Have you guys been following that? And what do you think of this madness? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, in, it's insane. Yeah, I've been definitely reading about it and following it quite co- closely. Like, it's uh, it's quite a flex on AMC's part to try to start a war in, in a way. And I want to say, I don't want to overblow this, but I mean, so they announced that, you know, we, we, we're recording this on Wednesday and they announced that on Tuesday. And then today, uh, I think, was it what, Regal Crown? I think they announced the same thing. So like, it, it's almost like trying to get a bit of a coalition of the theatrical exhibitors together to basically, I don't know, what their attempt is to show Universal a lesson, I guess. I don't know. But um, Universal has been very aggressive during this stay-at-home period where they put you know all of their films that were in the theater still on VOD very quickly, um, you know, like The Hunt and Invisible Man and we like you know trolls is the big is the big um story but it is interesting cuz yeah you're right i think i want to say i read like trolls the first one domestically did like around 150,000 150 million dollars in its in its theatrical 5 week run and this film did about roughly 100 million in 3 weeks on a video on demand rental model mm. and and the key thing is is that while that while that number is obviously 2 thirds of the of the original film the key is what the studio takes away. So, you know, in a normal theatrical model, it's roughly about half. It's roughly 50%. Where in this video on demand platform, they're taking away at least 80% from a, a couple of sources that I've read. So even though that, that gross number is less, their take is almost the same and possibly more. That's what a lot of people are saying is that it's more. And that's interesting. And again, that's only domestic. That's only the U.S., but, um, you know, Universal goes out and, you know, toots their horn about it. Uh, I don't know if it was in, was it in Variety or New York Times? I forget who the article was in. But when they talked to, you know, one of the higher ups at Universal and they're, you know, making their big, you know, applaud for themselves, you know, then AMC 
without missing a beat comes in and makes that claim late yesterday. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's, I don't know. There's no way that that holds. And if it does, then, then it's, it's about to just blow up if it does, because there's no way in hell that universal is going to play any more games. Like if that, if that, if they actually stick to that, which I don't think they will. Um, because like you said, John, like, you know, they have a lot of properties. They have, you know, fast and the furious franchise. They have the Jurassic franchise, um minions does universal distribute bond now i mean do they have the bond franchise now or was that am i is that wrong i don't know i have to look that up but anyway they have they have multi-billion dollar franchises and um you know there's no way in hell that you know uh the amc and now apparently regal you know are gonna are gonna say like we're not gonna put these movies out because you didn't respect the theatrical window um and you know and, 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 and instead of pushing back a release date you know you released it digitally but i don't know man this is a really interesting story i mean I, I do think that things will be forever changed in some way because of all these things that we've been talking about on this on this podcast since we've been going through this all together but um it's really fun to watch the two parties that are controlling those things, you know, at odds with one another when, you know, you get a taste of what could be <laughs> from yeah. a little less, a little, a little bit of a, a, a less restrictive platform, you know, from a studio standpoint. And, um, you know, there's other things to consider too, like their marketing costs, you know, to get this in the a video on demand platform is lower, you know, it doesn't exist in a vacuum because of, you know, the coronavirus experience, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see if somebody, you know, went with a big title like that and, you know, took it directly to a video on demand platform with a standard marketing budget or whatever it looks like, like, but it's just a, what a, what a crazy story, like to, to watch these two kind of just go at each other, um, very publicly and, I don't know. Yeah, I actually just looked it up. It, it is Universal putting out Bond also. So Yikes. that's three movies in the next year, year and a half, billion-dollar franchises. And you're going to tell me that AMC doesn't want, you know, their, you know, fucking nine-figure take from those movies? Get out of here. Like, there's no way. I mean, because those are exactly the kind of movies that if, if we if we do have theaters open in a few months, there will be this feeling of like, let's rally around a big movie. For AMC to be opting out of so many of what might be that movie for somebody, that movie that's going to make them want to come back out and brave yeah. whatever dangers they might perceive right. from the crowd. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. What do you think of it, Ronald? Do you think they're bluffing? Or, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird if they're bluffing because everybody's <laughs> watching. Well, I don't even know if it's about... That so much as it's about the egos of the CEOs and people that are controlling things that can that can lead to the fall of a company. I mean, like, OK, I'll give you an example. Um, Fox offered WWE some money about a year and a half ago to air um, WrestleMania on TV, like run it like Super Bowl. They said no. COVID happened. Um, they started airing shows with no audiences. People hated. They did WrestleMania pre-taped. And now there's a possibility. I don't know if you guys know this or not, that Disney, Fox, somebody's going to be, somebody's, they're making offers to WWE. WWE may 
sell their company. So yeah, it just just to see that like in a couple weeks how something can deteriorate is something that I was kind of talking about before. I wasn't trying to be super negative, but the idea is like everything that you know about all this stuff is gone. And I think that what they have to do is be smart. I, I think that sure. A company saying, man, this this stream of revenue that we've never used as a primary stream of revenue worked and we're going to consider it for our next movie. Right. That should not make a company go out on a limb and say the things that AMC said. It'll lead to the destruction of that place. I'm just saying they have to be smarter and it's it can't be a dick measuring contest. It has to be them working together to make things work. Because this is the end. If it doesn't work at this fork in the road, there's not going to be an AMC as we know it, right? It's going to be like, I don't know. So I think that people should be a little smarter. I don't think it's about anything but ego. So I'm, I'm really hoping that they smarten up and maybe they talk because I don't, I don't want AMC to go away. I don't want Regal to go away. I want it to be fair. I want it to be a lot of competitors. That's what make makes it fun. That's what makes it fun. Like the fact, oh, I want to go to Regal because Regal has this option today. I want to go to AMC because they have this deal. I, I love options. And I think that putting your ego ahead of the business can lead to some really dangerous things. I'm, we're witnessing it happen right in front of our faces. Yeah. So that's my take. I, I have seen a bunch of movies that you guys mentioned. I saw Underwater. Um, and, uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Have you seen that yet, Ronald? What, what's it called? Underwater, the Kristen Stewart. No, uh, no, I, did, I, I didn't see it. I, mm. I wanted to see it. I mean, I really liked aspects of it a lot. I, I didn't really care that much about the characters. Uh, the performers were okay. I think she was really, really good. Um, TJ Miller did nothing for me. He kind of seemed like he was kind of, I don't know, not necessarily miscast, but I didn't really need that element. But I feel like there was some interpersonal stuff going on in that movie that I couldn't really bother myself to care about. <laughs> but what happens in terms of the sort of uh, underwater sci-fi story, I thought it was really kind of cool and very visual. And, and where it goes in the end was, I thought there was some kind of cool imagery uh, mixed in there. Um, it was actually kind of Lovecraftian. Yeah which I did not expect to some of the stuff you end up seeing, uh, in the, in, you know, that's lurking around the bottom of the seafloor. It was beyond just beasties. There was like the suggestion of something, you know, some alien intelligence or culture or something that, that made it really creepy. So, um, yeah, no, no, I enjoyed that movie. Good, good, good. It didn't really try to go beyond what it could do. And it had a few really cool visual conceits in terms of them going out into the darkness and then what they see and what they actually encounter, so yeah, and then I saw Gretel and Hansel. Have you guys seen anything about this? I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I want to check it out. I I couldn't quite get into the 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 rhythm of it or something, but the there's some really cool uses of effects that it's, there's some stuff that's really stuck with me. Just uh, it's things that just look wrong that you kind of they did a good job of achieving. Cool, cool. Any anybody seen anything else they want to give a quick shout out about? Hmm. Uh, uh, I I would just want to I want to check in with Ronald. Um, we talked about it a while on a couple episodes back, but four episodes into the Last Dance, and wow, it is amazing. Oh my God! Okay, oh, the Last Dance is one of the best sports documentaries I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen that amount of uh, access, especially these were recorded in in the late 90s man they they look like hd quality it's it's clear as fuck like it i love it um 
the more I see Michael Jordan being a jerk, the more I love him. And I also understand sure, why he did sure. some of the things that he did. But, and I guess what they're going to get into really is one of the big points of why people consider Michael Jordan a jerk, which is the whole situation with the Dream Team and yeah. Isaiah Thomas. And hopefully they get into some of that talk. But that is an incredible, incredible, incredible yeah. documentary series. It, it's a great example of like knowing, knowing the sto- knowing where the story ends. You know what I mean? And like just learning everything in between it. Yes. And it's just like that that access, you know, that we keep talking about, and like yeah, how many how how many opportunities you have to like learn so much more about these athletes personally, and like I love how each episode is kind of. The way they're kind of using the timeline, you know, of of Jordan's entry into the league, and then, you know, each each of the other players or key figures on that team and the coaching staff, like how you get to like learn a lot more about them, and like their place in the NBA and history, and just like you know, not only are you like being able to relive some of those moments that are just like so iconic that they still give you cold chills when you watch them. Like personally speaking, like watching some of these shots and like some of these moments that they freeze frame on, like they're just cold chills, you know, moments. And it's just like those balanced against some of the more inside, you know, information that you learn. And and it's just like those candid moments. It's just like it's so good, man. It's so good. Yeah. You talk about a situation of a guy. Avengers is an incredible story of a bunch of superheroes put together to, to go against the world. You have something that's a little more epic because he hired his he hired his enemies, people that were trying to kill him to come together to do what he did. It's it it is insane. Some of the footage of him being knocked out of the air. It was nuts, man. The 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 Pistons were trying to kill him, man. One of the cool things I like that the filmmaking team has done to kind of not I don't know to shake up the documentary format or you know all these talking heads scenes is I really love how how they mm-hmm. do those like couple shots here and there where they have you know footage of each of the key players watching something on a phone you know to get to get their yes. unfiltered reaction to a you know a portion of a game or a comment from somebody else being interviewed for the show you know what i mean like like they did it early on like with with Michael Jordan's mom reading the letter from him at college and they do it you know, they do it in, in the past couple episodes, like with some of the comments that I say Thomas makes or, you know, just like some of the comments that, you know, Michael or Dennis make. It's just really cool to kind of like not just hear the story, but to watch the players watch like a literal cell phone in their hand of footage that they have of somebody else telling the same story. Just the perspective clash and things like that. Yeah. It's really kind of cool and different. And I like how for some of those important moments they capture that in the moment as they're sharing footage that they've captured from other people that were on this team or that were revolving around this you know their 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 son or whatever like it's just it was it's a really cool approach i think i i, I suggest even if you're not a huge sports fan see this documentary it's 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 pretty incredible have you guys seen that Mindy Kaling produced show uh, never have i ever Mm-mm. i have not oh I don't want to talk about it too much if you haven't seen it, but do yourself a favor, especially if you like coming of age stories. Never Have I Ever is a really well told story about a uh, a Indian 
teenager who is trying to lose her virginity. Uh, and it just gets really cool and crazy. And the girl is so charismatic. I, I actually haven't seen any of the three leads that are in it um, before. It's it's worth the it's worth your time. It's it's not even that long. I think it's like eight episodes. What what platform is it on? Netflix. Oh wow, okay. It's brand new. It came out this past Friday. Um, I I saw a trailer for it a couple weeks ago, but yeah, it's it's a really funny show, man. Let's check it out. Yeah, I think you'll love it, man. I actually have one thing that I want to tell you guys that is actually the best thing I've seen in years. Okay. Um, it is the two minute commercial for uh, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. His book, which is called um, "What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO?" <laughs> Here's some facts you get. For one thing, they say he's been writing this book for seven years. He's been seven years writing this book. As as you tilt the cover, the hologram goes from like modern day happy Mike Lindell to what might be his mugshot or a picture of him strung out on crack. That they say learn how his. 14 near-death experiences made him the man that he is today. 14 near-death experiences. And then I, I, was, so I was clicking around. I was like, maybe this guy's a little shady, but don't worry. They've got a celebrity endorsement from Joe Piscopo. This guy is totally on the level. I love stuff like that, man. There's there's two things he claims, Ronald, that, that you really, you should just use these in your act. He said, I've always used mathematics to prove that God exists. That's part of him <laughs> pitching his book to you. And he also says, and see if you can even follow this thought. In my book, I have pictures that are going to validate everything you're going to read. <laughs> so the, Oh, man, it's perfect. So he's got photos that can't be doctored <laughs> next to text that he wrote. So, I mean, he spent seven years on it, guys. I think we really owe him our dollars. <laughs> and let, let's bear in mind, this is a guy our president has, like, asked to lead a national prayer. Let's just let's just soak in that. Yeah, yeah that's, let's say. that's part of the story for don't sure. Don't forget that. Yeah, don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> Key detail. Man, what a, what a note to end this episode on. So, yeah, you can find us at movieshmovie.com, facebook.com slash movieshmovie. Um, and if you want to email us, we have a Gmail, movieshmovie at gmail.com. Yes, that is a brag if you were wondering. We do have a Gmail. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Interact. If you if you see this post on Facebook, let us know what you think of any of the recommendations we've made. And if you have anything that you'd like to recommend uh, that we check out, definitely comment. Let us know. We, we're always, as you can tell, we're... Watching tons of things. So if you see something that you love and we haven't talked about it or you want to make sure we are aware of it, let us know. Because I'm sure we'll check it out. I mean, we love watching shit. So Absolutely. we'd appreciate the input and any any gems you may have come across. Um, but yeah, otherwise we will see you guys next week or you'll hear us speaking next week if you listen to this podcast. And uh, until then, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye. writing his book to share his life story. In this difficult time we are in, Mike's book will bring much needed inspiration and hope to everyone who reads it. But now the game was over. The house had won. 
I was going to die right here on this deserted street. A small item in the news. American tourist goes missing in Mexico. Call now or visit MyPillow.com to purchase What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO.